0: on the campus and there was one group it was a Christian group and they would ask people what's your most important word what's the most important word that is exists in the world what do you think is the most and they said a question for a slice they, they had all these different things on campus to get people to come to their table and one of the things they had was one day they had this big bill whiteboard and they said what's your most important word and uh, most people put on the whiteboard. What what word do you think they put on? Google. Love. Google. Well, it's the most used word. I don't think it's the most important. It's like saying selfie. It's like, <laughs> yeah. You know. But um, no, Google is a used word, but it's not a most important word. I wouldn't say you know, it's some some people put Jesus, of course, right? Anyone else? Love. Love. That was it. Love. That was the word that everyone and the pe- people were putting strikes underneath it. You know. Yeah, I agree with that one. So. Most people came to the conclusion that it ends with love. Like, like, that's, where, that's where it ends and that's where it begins. You know? That's all you need. All you need is love. And um, is that true? Is that really true? So I want to tell you that there's another aspect that makes a relationship work. Not just the love. There's another part that you need in the relationship for it to work. Well, love is giving. That's true. We have to define love. If you've not been here for four years, then maybe if enough times you would have heard me explain what love is. But whatever, that's another whole discussion. Let's say you know what love is. Um, what else do you think you need? Do you think that's all you need for a relationship to work? Huh? No. Communication. Well, isn't that part of love? Right? Don't. if you love someone you talk to them or you kind of have to look in the same direction of life. Same, going in the same direction? Yeah. Okay. That gets you to love. So we're we're all working in the same path of love. But is there something else? What's the opposite of what's the opposite of love? Indifference. Indifference? That's that's true. Yes. That is that is the opposite. We don't want that. So supposed to hate. No, 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 that's not what I'm getting to. Actually, in Judaism, there's something which is, maybe, maybe it's not the off, opposite, but it's something on the other spectrum. It's called fear. Whoa. And, guess what? You need fear as well as love for the relationship to work. Huh? Yes, you need fear as well. Let me show you how. Okay, love and fear is very important. Let's say you have um, a very wealthy guy. And he made some good money and he's doing really well and he's uh, very successful. He's 50 years old. He can marry whoever he wants because he has all the money in the world. But that's what he thinks. <laughs> right? He can marry and he finds this girl and he, get, he gets to marry her. Or let's say, not a wealthy let's say not a successful guy, someone else. Let's say a dictator. A dictator. Someone who's dangerous. Right? He's the head of a gang. He's like, you know, And he finds a very nice girl and marries her Uh, without consent or whatever, right? He gets married to her, right? Let's say that happens. Oh, I can't believe you said that. Well, it happens. So let's say it happens, right? Let's say that happens. I'm asking you, she, do you think there's a chance that she would like him? Unless there's Stockholm syndrome involved. There's a chance. There's a chance, Yeah. yeah? Unless there's some syndrome involved, but there's a chance, right? There's a chance, That there would be love. Maybe not the beginning. It will be like, who is this guy? But eventually, it could be that she'll feel feelings towards him. Even though he's a dictator and he's crazy and he forced his way into this relationship. Right? So, there could be. But one thing that he doesn't have to her is fear. Now, what is fear? There's two types of fear. There's fear of being hurt, and then there's another level of fear, which is called in, in Hebrew, or in English we will call it, awe. Right, It's the fear of greatness. Fear of greatness means, not that I'm scared of the person hurting me, but I, re- I have so much respect to this person, that they've given me so much, how can I hurt their feelings? It's another type of fear. Like, my parents are so kind to me, how can I make my mom upset with me? That kind of feeling. Well, a person's meant to reach that feeling in a relationship as well. Of, not only do I love this person, but also I have awe of this person. That's the level that you're really meant to reach. And actually according to Judaism, Yir'ah and ahava the two words for fear and awe, and love, or love and, fear and awe, these two words, yirah, which is "or," and ahava, which is "love," they intertwine. If you look at the Hebrew, the letters intertwine with each other. Very interesting. I can't. I know it's hard for you to understand this, but actually, the first two letters of yirah is Yudresh, and the first two letters of ahava is aleph and that makes yirah. And the last two letters of ahava is bet and the last two letters of Yir'ah is Aleph, Hey. And that makes Ahava. So you've got Yir'ah and Ahava going both ways. Does that make sense? The the words intertwine with each other. Meaning to say, if you don't have, if you just have love, and you don't have the awe, the respect of somebody, it's not going to work. Let me give you an example. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a dictator. Right, not me. Somebody's a dictator, and they are married. Okay? And he knows that there's nothing he needs to do for the relationship, uh, you know. She wants to have a conversation. Well, if I'm available, uh, can can we talk now? Well, I'm not available now. Sorry, excuse me. You can't come in and speak to me until I'm available. Or uh, he she says, listen, I'm so tired to take out the garbage. Can you do it for me? Normally they'd have someone that works for them, but let's say I'm so tired to do the, to take out the garbage. Can you? Today, take out. How dare you even ask me to take out the girl? You know, that's a level of maybe he likes her. Maybe that dictator says, I like this girl, my wife. But he doesn't have awe of her. He doesn't have that respect of her. And in a relationship, there has to be a certain level of respect that I'm listening to the other side for the relationship to work. It can't just be, I control the situation. I love you. But I also don't listen to your needs. And in order to be respectful to someone, we've got to listen to the needs, right? So that's all. How is this relatable to what I'm saying? This is the statement in Pukke We're now in the third Mishnah of Pukke that we've uh, studied so far. And he says like this. Antigonus Ish Socho, a man from Socho, it was a place in Israel. He said like this. He got it from his rabbi and he said like this, don't be like a servant who serves your master in order to get the reward. Be like a servant that serves the master not to get the reward and have fear of heaven on you. Okay. So he says like this, be like a servant that serves your master not to get the reward. Don't be like the type that does it only because you're going to get something out of it. And then have all two statements. What are the two statements? The first is love and the second is fear. Okay, the second is the idea of awe. And what's he saying? Very simple. In work, you want to be successful in your job, in your career? Why do you do your job? Because I want to make money. Is that a good policy to have? Yeah. <laughs> well, what are you making money for? Spending. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what are you spending it on? Right, so the question, amen. The question is, not just, not just, the question shouldn't be, why am I working and what am I getting out of this job? Right, the question should be, what is the greater reason of my existence here? Not just, am I here to get the money and then go. If I'm just working for the reward, then what happens to my life? over time. Is my job going to be enjoyable? Will I enjoy it? Or am I just doing it for the money? Why are you working today? Oh, because I just, I hope to make some money and I can't wait, I'm waiting for the time to come that I could just walk out. Not a good policy to have. You've got to love what you do. True? You've got to find love in what you're doing. Don't just do it for the reward. The worst job that you can have is if you're doing it just for the money that's going to come out of it. But there's another thing that you need to know. There has to be a higher reason for the reward, right? There's a, that's the main point. And the same thing applies to serving God. As a Jew, a person needs to know that I'm not Jewish just because what's in it for me. Like a child to his parent or a servant to his master. I'm not just in it because I. Uh, what what is it that you can give me? Why are you doing Shabbat? Because it's good for me and I, I like it. That's also going to be the reason why I do it. All the things in Judaism we do because there is good that's going to come out of it. But at the end of the day, a person needs to say, what, why am I doing this? Because I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. Because I have love. It's a very important... Why am I doing my job? Because there's a higher reason than the job itself. Why am I serving... Why am I doing my Jewish things that I'm doing? Not because I'm expecting to get something out of it, but because I'm doing it for the right reasons. Right? This applies also to whether it is with your parents or your spouse. In a relationship, you can't expect that you'll only do things for your other side if it makes sense for you, if it's convenient for you, if you're going to get something out of it. That's not a healthy relationship. relationship I'm committed to you I love you that's it I'm gonna do this for you no matter what happens even in a situation where it doesn't always make sense to me that's what it's saying here because if I don't do that if I only do it because it makes sense if I only do things because I know that I'm gonna get a reward for it then what happens if it if I'm not in the mood for it today right what happens if it doesn't work out for me today then I'll just scrap it makes sense Okay, then he finishes off and he says, Have the fear of heaven on you. What does that mean? Be- he's saying like this If you do things only because of love, eventually, like a child. If a child only has respect for his parent and parent gives because the, ch- the parent is always giving to the child. Whatever the child needs, the parent gives, and there's love, and there's love, and there's love, and there's- what happens eventually? What happens if there's too much love to your child? Huh? It loses its value. It loses its value. <laughs> the child becomes spoiled, and he rejects you eventually. Right? That's one of the things that will happen. Is if there's only love in a relationship, there'll also be rejection. So that's why, in a relationship, you have to have love, and you also have to have what we call yirah, which is the awe aspect, the fear. There's two aspects that make a relationship work. Not just even with. A child, it says, There are aspects of the relationship between a father and child that is nothing to do with the love between them. And it's called the aspect of awe. For instance, according to Jewish teaching, we're not meant to sit on a seat that my parents sit on. So If they have a specific designated seat, I'm not meant to sit on them. Uh, there's a law in Jewish teaching that when they walk in the room, you're meant to stand up for them. That's another level, but that is also a, a level of honor. What's, what's it telling me? That in order to achieve the fullest level of love, there's got to be a level of respect as well with it. A relationship where there's just love and what's in it for me is not going to work. A relationship where it's what's in it for me. Yeah, it's important. I know that I'm going to get something out of it. Of course, that's in the back of my mind, but that's not the only reason why I'm doing this. Does that make sense to everybody? You can't say, I'm only doing this because I'm asking, what am I going to get out of it? And if it's a beneficial to me, I'm in. If it's not, what would happen? You'll leave. But is, a is anything in the world like that? Does everything, anything in this world work like that? Are we always in a good mood? Do we always have the full understanding? Right, People that are absolutely committed to a relationship... They would say, okay, today, I understand it's important for me and I'm gaining from it. But I need to remember that tomorrow when I'm not gaining something from it, I'm still going to be committed. right? That's, that's the level of awe that we have as well, which is an aspect of, yes, I'm in this relationship for us. But I'm also in the relationship to know that even if it's not beneficial to me, it's sometimes I'm still here no matter what, thick and thin. Okay, That's, that's what makes a relationship work. Now, don't get me wrong. I hope that this is this is understood to everyone. don't get me wrong. What I'm saying, what I'm not saying is that you should get it yourself into a relationship that doesn't have love. It has to have love, but it also has to have that aspect of respect. That no matter what, even if it doesn't work out, sometimes I'm gonna stay committed. Right? That's how, in you know, in 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 relationships, how does it work? First, there's infatuation right we get excited we find someone we're like whoa this feels amazing there's excitement what is that it's a gift that's just nature that's just how you feel right that's how you're feeling that all that excitement is just natural then comes the relationship and that kind of wears down somewhat right you then what do you face you face the real person right so the the initial infatuation what was that for why was that there? It's called the glue factor, right? It's the thing that brings you to the person in the first place. But once you're with that person, now we need to be able to find other aspects. That if there wasn't the infatuation and all the attraction, we would never get with that person in the first place. Once there is that, we need to maintain it, of course. And there is an aspect of love always and it can grow. But there's also the aspect of I'm here no matter what. I'm committed to you and that in itself is an aspect of love as well. Okay that's that's a concept that we learn here as well in terms of life and work in every aspect of life. I'm not in it just because I'm going to get a reward. I'm in it because there's a greater reason. What's the greater reason than the actual reason that I'm here? There has to always be a bigger reason behind what you're doing. So that's what he says here. Okay. So I want to move on and cover some more ground because there's some amazing things that I wanted to teach. Mishnah number four says like this: "It's Yose ben Yoezer, the man of Sridan, Yose the son of Yochanan, the man of Jerusalem. They said as well like this. These are called these rabbis. In in these texts are zugot. They had the nasi Hamdina. in those times nasi yisrael. They had like the head of the Jewish people, and they also had the head of the bet din of the courts." Two separate rabbis that were the leaders of each community. They were called the Zugot. There was a certain period of time in the Mishnah that they were these rabbis that were in pairs. And listen to to what they said here. They said like this. Your house should be a place for wise scholars. Make your house a place for Chachamim, for scholars. Get yourself dusty with the dust of their feet. Get the dust of their feet near you. Whatever that means. And drink with thirst their words. That's what he says. Okay, so what, what's, what's going on here? First of all, why your, why your home? Make it your synagogue. Why the home? Why should your home be the house of scholars? Anyone know? Why is it good that it's in your house? You don't have to go anywhere. Well, you don't have to go anywhere. It's, <laughs> co- it's convenient. What do you, think, you think it mean means? It inspires your wife and your kids, and your body. Right? It will inspire you. It will hold you to a, high, a higher standard. Wow. It will inspire you. But what does it really mean? Does it mean that we should have a bunch of scholars with long beards walking in, and holding talmuds and sitting around my table? Gosh, it's just elevating the vessel. A house is like a good vessel to elevate. <laughs> Right? Elevate your vessel, which is your home. Okay, how else can we have the scholars in my home? Besides for physical people. Huh? Yeah, books. What about listening to stuff that... Are, right, make your house a house of wisdom. How much more important is it to do that than to spend hours on end flipping through, uh, flicking through... Uh, Facebook or whatever. Make your house a home of wisdom. Books. Put books in your house. That makes it a place of wise. Listen to things that are about wisdom. Not only about things that can, you know, whatever it is. But things that are wisdom. That's what it's saying here. bet Make it a meeting for the wise. It literally means, bring in scholars. If there's ever going to be a meeting of the wise, bring them into your house. Because they'll hold you to a higher standard. But it also means make your home a place of wisdom and of goodness as well. By the way, where do people do most of their Judaism? Someone else's house. Oh, that's a mistake. It's saying make Judaism in your house as well. Shabbat's not only for the synagogue. If you can cook, cook in your own house and do Shabbat. right? Uh, Judaism's not only somewhere else outside. It needs to be Judaism in the house. That's when you really experience it. Not somewhere that's far out, that's what he says. Then it says something else. It says dust your feet with their feet. Get get the dust of their feet near you. What does that mean? What do you think that means? Go ready, go. Well, yeah, follow them. It's a beautiful feet represent walking, going. So follow them, follow their paths. What else do you think that means? So actually in the times of the Talmud, how it used to be was that the scholars would actually speak in fields and everyone would sit around the floors, right? They would sit along the field, all along the floor, hundreds of people and they would literally get the dust of the rabbi as he would sit and he would speak. There was no microphone, so he would say something and someone was standing next to him every 10 meters. Someone else He'd say a few words. Then the person ten meters ahead would say those words again, and it will pass at great lengths of hundreds of people sitting and talking words of Torah. That's how they used to do it. So it says, get close to them. Don't be the person that's far away. Say, oh yeah, I'm listening half an ear. Sit right close up to them. Listen to them. Right. Get yourself to their feet. Get to know who they are. Go in their ways. By the way, it says, God is infinite. But it says in the Torah that you should be cling to God. It says you should try and be like God. So rabbis say, how can you be like, how can you cling to God, be close to God? He's an infinite being. What does that mean? And the, the rabbis say, Rambam, and the Gemara, the Talmud says, it means that be close to the rabbis, the people that go like God. Be close to those that are close to God, that are godly like. And by doing that, you will be close to God. Because you can't be close to an infinite being, but you can be close to those that study his words. Those that act like him, be like him. Or you can be that person yourself. Right? You can. But even if you think you're that person, no matter what level, you also need to be clinging to someone who's yeah. going in his ways. So even the biggest king Even the most righteous Jews. Yes. What were you, what were you going to say? Sorry. No, it makes me think of all the big tzaddikim that people always like, really look up to in Israel. You know, who did they cling to when they were still alive, even when they were old? They cling to someone too? They always had They always, they always, and you'll be surprised. Their devotion to their teachers and rabbis were even stronger. So it's, it's something which is very... I, I remember going to my rabbi when I was in yeshiva and another rabbi came to visit. And for half an hour, he was talking to me about how great the other rabbi was. And how he was so in awe from him and he was so amazed by him. It was really inspiring to me. He's like, he's looking up to the other, you know. So it's it's actually it was a lesson to me uh, how much respect he has for his rabbi, you know. Everyone has to have, like an insurance company has another insurance. Everyone, we're gonna see that later on. That everyone has to make themselves a rabbi, no matter what level you're on. Okay? Then it says, so go in their ways, and also. Uh, get close to them so you learn, don't be on the side. And then it says, drink with thirst their words. Why with thirst? Torah studies compared to water. Judaism and Torah is compared to water. Just like water can go from the highest to the lows and go back up from the lowest to the high, so too us as human beings, no matter how far away we are, if we study and we get involved in the Torah wisdom, it can clean us, it can take us from no matter what part of the world we we're in, no matter how low we feel we are, it can bring us up. So that's why it says, drink with thirst their words. Don't just listen to their words, but drink it with thirst. Okay, so let's uh, continue. There's actually a story of Rabbi, I wrote that, there's a story of one Rabbi, he had two students that couldn't speak. And for years, they sat by him and listened to his speech. For hours, every day, they would sit by him and study by him. And eventually, Rabbi would see them every day. Eventually, he started praying for them. And they healed. And they became one of some of the greatest scholars in the Jewish people. Later on in their life, they healed. They could speak again. There's a lot of times where you say to yourself, Oh, what's the point of me learning or studying? You don't know your potential. Right? You could think that I'm mute in some areas. What's the point of me doing this? What's the point of me trying? What's the point of my effort? You do not realize that later on in life, all of a sudden, that one stumbling block that's in your way can just that defect can go, and then all of a sudden, it's like a it's like a stream that's getting stronger. There's so much that you can teach and do. It's just like this it's like this kid who's scared to speak in public, but eventually. There's a rabbi I know who, who stutters. And his whole life as a kid, everyone used to laugh at him. He had a lot of, a lot of difficulty. And as he got older, suddenly he was, he's like a very well-known speaker. Very interesting how, you know, he, there was a barrier. He didn't give up. He kept learning and learning and learning. And eventually that barrier bro- broke. And then you just had this incredible person that everyone was able to benefit from. So you never know your potential. Don't think that those faults are are what's holding you back. Eventually those faults can fall. And what will come out of you? Something amazing. So uh, that's why it says, just keep drinking, keep listening, right? Keep absorbing as much as you can. And eventually you'll be able to be like that as well. So Mishnah number five. Yose, the son of Yochanan, a man of Jerusalem, said, Make your house. This is very interesting, very interesting discussion. It says, Make your house open widely to the public. Make it open, available. And some of the commentaries say, like Abraham, I spoke about this on Shabbat. What did Abraham do? What did Abraham do? He had his house open in all four corners. Like we're meant to do on on the wedding. On the wedding day, we have a canopy. And we'll have a, a chuppah, is what they call it. And that canopy is meant to represent your home. Your first home together. And the idea is it's open on all four sides. And basically you're starting your home in a world of chesed, in a world of kindness. And the idea that what we're meant to do is have an open house. So that all our guests can come in. Everyone, That's how you start your home. A home of kindness is what's going to build a relationship as well. So it says... Have your house open in all four corners. Does it really mean literally? Do you think it literally means open to the public? wasn't always safe to have your house open in all four corners. What does it really mean? Does anyone know? Well, uh, make, it a welcoming place. well make it welcoming. The mindset should be welcoming. Yes. Go on, what were you saying? Is it welcoming the people from all corners of, four corners of the earth into your house? Does it have to do with the symbolism of that? Or is it-, it could be. I never thought of it. but That's a beautiful interpretation. All types of people, no matter where they come from. I love that. I think that's beautiful. Right? Anyone else? Yes. Open your heart. Right? Open it in your heart. You it yeah. It's not just a physical thing where you should open it, but open it in your heart. I'll tell you something else. Yehi betcha patuach means, like Abraham, it was open in all four corners. What did that mean? Not physically necessarily. Abraham used to say, I'm going to open my house on this side, but maybe someone's coming from that side. It's going to be more of a walk for him to come around. Maybe he won't see me. I want to up the game. I want to make sure that I make my house as convenient as possible for the person that's coming in. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be open and for all four corners. But it means that I'm thinking ahead of the person that's coming in my house. That's true chesed. Kindness is, not that I just let people in my house, but I think of their needs before they ask for the need. Like for instance, um, someone came to my house on Shabbat and said, uh, after a few minutes of talking to me, he's like, Rabbi, is there any water here? I'm like, oh, I didn't take out the water. I missed I missed the I, m- I made a mistake. I should have been there with the water before he asked for it. That's kindness, right? Abram was able, that's what that was his wisdom. He was able to be so kind that he was able to feel the needs of the people that came in before they asked for it, next level. So that's what he's saying. Make your house open in all corners so that people are always feeling welcome. They are going they say something very interesting here. Then he says, once you do that, don't forget, allow the poor people to be members of your home. What does that mean? Let the poor be members of your household. Some say that means in work. Your household doesn't just mean your house, but in work. Don't just employ. There's a, there's a store that I know, a grocery store in the religious community. Uh, in, in Israel, and a few, there's actually a few places that they do this. They hire people at the, at the counter, people that are uh, Down syndrome, all different types of people that would never get jobs anywhere else. They said, why not let them have the job? They help them, there's someone else there. But there's a guy that employs these people that are, nece- you know, poor doesn't only necessarily mean uh, someone without money, someone with certain needs that they can't be fed in other places. Make it you. Are f- the point is like this, don't only be that person, that looks up to people with money and says, hey, come, come, let me do chesed with you. You know, you have a lot of money. Or the rabbis we just spoke about. Oh, the rabbis, yeah, I want you in my house. Don't, the poor people are the ones that need you the most and they will gain, you will gain the most from them. It says like this, there's a great saying. This is amazing. Your, your physical needs are for you in this world. Somebody else's physical needs are for you in the world to come. Right? Your physical we- w- needs, that's for you here. But when we take care of somebody else's physical needs, we're really taking care of our own spiritual needs. I take care of somebody else's physical needs, I'm really taking care of my spiritual olam Habah, my world to come. That's how it is thought in Judaism. So what does it say? If you care, not b'nei betecha, we think, I help somebody who's poor. Oh, who's the good... Who's, the, who's got the upper hand? Yeah, and the poor person took some money and I helped him, so I'm, I'm very kind. He's helping me more than I'm helping him. Why? Because he's giving me Olamaba. He's giving me a spiritual reason to exist. He's giving me the world to come. Who's giving me the world to come? That poor person, I'm giving him money. But him coming to me and asking me for money means that I am now elevated. I get Olamaaba for him. Do you understand? That's how the Arizal Kabbalah, in Kabbalistic terms, that's how we're looking at it. When I give charity to somebody else, actually the person I'm giving charity is actually benefiting me more than I'm benefiting him from a spiritual level. So that's what they said. Let the poor be in your. It doesn't just mean the poor and it doesn't just mean in your house. It means don't just talk to people that have interest for you, don't just talk to people that have money. That are successful that can help you in your work be the person that's able to go and talk to the poor that's able to give attention you know those people they only give attention to the people that they need something from you hey i'm not seeing your phone call in months what do you need you know why are you calling me I'm not... don't be that type of person that only calls some calls someone because you need something from them You and have somebody in your house that's absolutely, you have no reason for them to be there and you're helping them. There's a famous story of, uh, of um, Henny Machlis. I had the merit of being in their house for Shabbat. She was a very holy woman. They made a book about her uh, called "Emuna with Chicken Soup or something like that. Love and nice. I love of chicken soup. An amazing, amazing woman. I would totally suggest reading it. They had a tiny house but had hundreds of guests, every type, in the house. Uh, their son-in-law, Rabbi Willig, who's a rabbi, in, one of the rabbis at Aish actually, tells a story. Fascinating. He got engaged to his, he, he got engaged to the daughter of Henny Machlis. She had many children. He got engaged to his daughter and um, he gets to the house, you know, he's getting comfortable with the family and the Machlis family. And he says to Mrs. Machlis, do you mind if I borrow your car? You have a car downstairs, do you mind if I borrow it? It's a van. I need to get something, the daughter said, ask my mum, so she said, of course, take it. He goes downstairs, gets the keys, she gives him the keys, he goes downstairs, gets into the van, all of a sudden he sees in the side, shoes, a shirt, he t- turns on the engine, all of a sudden two guys from the back wake up, and they say, oi, we're sleeping here, and he's like, this is not normal, next level Kindness. They literally hosted people of all walks of life in the house. The most crazy people that would shout at them, shout at them on the Shabbat table, like people that were not 100%. The people of the worst thought, you should read their book, her book, it's unbelievable. But anyway, that's called Yuani B'nei B'itecha. That's taking it to the next level. I don't think that you should uh, have your car open to that extent. But I'm just showing how having the poor as part of, who gains at the end of it? They wrote a book about her. Think about that for a second. People, someone wrote a book about her. It's next, we think, oh, I only need to befriend the ones that will give me something. You know, what can I gain from them? Oh, you should meet this person and this person. He has a yacht. He has a this. He has a that. Get to know him. He'll be great for your business. No, get to know the person. He's got enough followers. Get to know, it's important to get to know people for your business and they'll help you, that's true. But don't forget that there's other people that if you help them, you'll help yourself way more. In fact, they will help your spirituality by helping them. So that's their statement. And then at the end, they end off like this. They said, do not speak too much with your wife. Oh, that's strange. al <laughs> Siha it says Sicha in Hebrew, it doesn't say "tibul." Sicha in Hebrew, there are two, there's a number of words for speaking, there's to say, Vayomer, means to speak, and then there's Sach, Socheach means to talk wasteful talk, things that are unnecessary, conversate for no reason, now, it, the, the rabbis even take this to a new level, They said this applies to your own wife, all the more so with somebody else's wife. What? How can it be? I'll tell you something even crazier. According to Jewish teaching, there are times where you must speak to your wife. You're encouraged, you have to speak to your wife. For instance, at a time when someone's intimate, you have to speak to her first. You can't just, right? There's a requirement, actually, in Jewish law to have conversation. So, how can it be that it says don't talk? You can't just get, you've got to talk. Of course you've got to talk in a relationship to make the relationship work. How does a relationship, someone here said, how do you get love? Someone said communication. Of course communication gives you love. So what does it mean here? It's talking about wasteful speech. What are we talking about? What context? We're talking about the person that has lots of poor people in his house. We're talking about the person that opens his home to everyone. Uh, What happens when they leave? Oh, you saw that one? He came, he, he was very interesting. And that girl, ah, right? That's, that could easily happen in a re- you know a house that's open. I could tell you that Shira, sit over here. I hope I'm not embarrassing you. But n- n- she hates, one thing that she hates is Lashonara, gossip. The minute that someone in our family mentions a name that's not, when they're not here, I don't want to, don't say, don't say, I don't want to know. It's a very, she's very strong about never talking about people that you're not in front of them, never. It's a very easy thing for it to happen. You've got so many people coming in your house, it's very easy. We have conversations, private conversations with many people. It's very easy for me to talk about, our, I never speak to Shira about my, private, or she never speaks to me about the private conversations she has with the people that she learns with. And some of them are very interesting She'll never tell me, I, it's private, not, this is between me and that person, I'm never going to talk to and I don't talk to her about anything that we speak about. It's something that we've always stuck to, ever since we've, we've had people coming in the house. But that's exactly what he's saying here, is that a person must avoid that at all costs with his wife. And it makes sense. Why? If somebody communicates, Sichat khulin Wasteful speech it says like this. That's what the rabbis explain. They say that it starts there. How does it work? Oh, first I'm gonna start talking there Then it ends up that that's the environment with you with your friends and her with her friends and then it ends up It's you know life is a spiral Relationships don't just go successful like this Nor do they fail like this in one second. It's not how it works. Everything in life goes like this. No one grows to become better like this. And no one grows to become worse like that. In fact, the people that suddenly make all this money suddenly, right? Well, financial is a different thing. But people that suddenly make all this money, actually, it's a shock for them. The experience is too much a lot of times. It's not necessarily the healthiest thing that could have been for them. But it says, when it comes to in a relationship also, it's never, it's never that you just grow in the relationship like this. It goes like this. It starts with a good word here, then a little better word there, and it goes like this and, this, and this, and this, and this, and it goes up. Or, it starts with one little negative comment there, and then it translates into other negative comments, and it goes downwards. Right? Till it gets to so bad that a person says, I'm out. Right? But that's how it works. It's either like this or like this. Life is like that as well. It says, we're going to learn this later, a good deed causes a person to do another good deed. And a bad deed... Causes a person to do another bad deed. That's how life works. We get to an environment that's not so good. Oh, that's that today. Tomorrow I'll do a bit more. Not good. It's very easy. It's contagious. Good is contagious and so is bad. So it starts in the home. And it starts with the kind of conversations you have at home. And they said, they said this about your wife. all the more so about somebody else's wife. I mean, she, that's somebody else's wife. Why are you schmoozing like that comfortably with somebody else's wife? That's very awkward. Right? But if you're dating, should you talk? Yeah. Of course. right? Of course you should talk. Otherwise, how are you going to know if you're made for each other? In fact, our rabbis say that if you, if you date and you never saw the person there's a possibility. If, let's say someone wants a visa. Right? If you date and you never saw the person and you want to get married to them you're not allowed to do it according to Jewish law. You're not allowed to marry someone that you've never seen. You have to actually see them in person. Some people discuss about seeing them on on video. But many have said that it's not the same. You have to see the person in in person. According to Jewish law, you can't marry, it's the Talmud in Kiddushin, you can't marry your spouse unless you've seen them first. Why? Because then if not, later on you'll regret, you'll say, oh, if only I would have seen. If only I would have spoken. If only I would have had that conversation. So, Conversations are very important when they have a use. But if they have no use, cut it out. Because it starts there and it goes to many other places as well. And that's why it says, if somebody does this, if somebody starts in his house with wasteful conversation, it starts there then it goes into your business. It goes, right, it says, He's so starting to cause lots of evil for yourself. And eventually you'll not learn Torah. You'll stop studying and becoming wise. You'll just focus on all your discussions and people that you're talking about. And eventually inherit Gehenom, which is the worst level right, that a person can be in. So that's not something that you want. And it starts in the home and it starts with the kind of conversations. Um, well, I guess we've finished for now and I hope you guys enjoyed, but we'll continue next week. You should come again and you'll have a good time any, any questions, thoughts about what we spoke about? Any ideas? Yeah, I have a question. Sure. What would be consider, like, like, wasteful speaking with them? Like, what kind of conversation like, are not necessary? Well, if it's to do with the relationship, like, making the relationship healthy, uh, you've been out all day, and you say to yourself, hey, that's, uh, that's a wasteful conversation now. I'd rather go and uh, watch some games. You know? it, the question is, is it my interest? Or is it the other side's interest? If, it's, if the speech is the other side's interest, then most likely it's not a wasteful speech. If the speech is your interest, most likely it's, for instance, uh, my interest right now is to watch a game of soccer. So all of a sudden my wife says, hey, we should schmooze now. Wasteful speech, the Talmud says it, wasteful speech. Yeah, why am I saying that? Why am I saying that? Because my interest is to watch the game, right? I'm biased. So that's why you're asked, the question's very good because there's a lot of times where I'm biased to my own needs and then I use this as my excuse to saying, hey, wasteful speech. So the, the rule of thumb should be that when it's within her need, it's most likely not a wasteful speech. When it's in his need, then it's most likely not a wasteful speech. But in a time where the conversation is about other people, right, we all know what Lashon Harai is when we're talking about other people for no reason or, or, or someone that's annoying or negative, right, that, that kind of conversation should be cut out. It's okay, we're gonna, we're gonna change it, we're gonna talk about something else. It's hard. You should know it's hard. Go to a, go to a date night. And try and, and try and not look at the people around you. Just look at the person in front of you. Right? And if especially if you're married after quite a lot of time. So you, you're likely most likely going to be speaking about something. So you'll speak about the kids. You'll speak about work. You'll speak about the... It's very easy because it makes good conversation. You try and have a conversation with someone that's not about work. That's not about your family. Not about people. Try and do it. It takes work but that's 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 what we're talking about most times the conversations that are unnecessary lead to us degrading others or being negative if it's better it's better we're gonna learn about that later silence is the greatest gift to a person's body a lot of times it's just much better if we didn't say anything now the way we shut down the conversation needs to be healthy mm, mm, mm. You know? <laughs> like, what are you doing You know, it needs to be done in a healthy way. You can't just shut down a conversation like, you know, I'm not talking now. You know, it has to be done in a healthy way. But the aim should be towards only having productive, that's the right word, productive conversations. Right. Things that would strengthen the relationship. Things that would, you know, um, that would make the relationship. If you're dating. So it's a conversation about the relationship. Right. That you, you know, things that you want. Things that are interesting to you. Things that you are, you know, what's what's your what's what's the type of things you like doing most? I'm sure that's a great question that everyone asks. There's a list of 20 questions that I once gave out, um, that are really recommended to ask on on a date. Uh, we have the book here. It's also written. It's in. You. Yeah. Oh, I don't know them off my heart, but it's in the book. Will you marry me? So there's a book called Will You Marry Me? I can give you the book if you want. It's a uh, th- I have a whole bunch of those books I actually bought them a while ago and you can if you want you can take it but it has a whole bunch of questions there that you can do that you can talk about that are healthy on a convers- on a on a date. Um, yeah, I mean it's some people it thrive especially british S- I hope no, no one's british here <laughs> besides for me. Fine. Mark. Right. Oh, Mark, but isn't it true the weather's terrible today? Right? That's like such an English conversation. In, it, there's, some, there's some people that thrive of the awkwardness of, of meeting someone new so the way to break down the awkwardness is to just be negative oh terrible the, you know <laughs> the, the, you know the traffic warden you know you should have uh, you know I don't know there's a, there's a way that we would do, you know there's a way that some people like to communicate which is through negativity and honestly it's not healthy a person should avoid that so that way the the relationship is healthy and strong and um, it also shows a certain strength within us. If I'm able to communicate not having to need to degrade on someone else, that's, it's like comedy, right? Comedy is mostly, to find clean comedy, not on the expense of somebody else, is hard, right? That's why with, with today's cancel culture, no one can be comedians anymore, right? Because everything you say, you're going to be laughing at someone, so yeah. But it is hard to make a joke about something that's a situation in life that's not on the expense of somebody else, but that takes wisdom and work. If somebody can do that, that's real skill. That's, that's greatness. Greatness is that I care about somebody else as if it's myself. That I, I look at others and say, wait, if I wouldn't want them to do it to me, I'm not gonna do it to them. As kids, we do it, you know, I can, if you saw a video of me as a kid, Oh my goodness. Right? But as kids, yeah, that's true I guess. But as kids we're we you know I used to do crazy things, embarrass people and you know stupid things. But as we get older, we hope that we don't live on the expense of others, get attention on the expense of others, thrive on the expense of others. And it starts with it starts with these little things, like these little conversations of negativity, it's a spiral. It goes Yeah, you all know, down that way to the Absolutely. All right. You guys were fun, and uh, you're all awesome. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you.